Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbele, and this is being recorded live on Skype, June 17th, 2017. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. We have on Jim Lincoln, we're already talking about legal opiates, we'll move on from that, a wide variety <laughs> of folk, including Jim Gifford, but I wanted to start with a gentleman who is known in the model rail circles now as Bambi, Rob Grutzer. Yeah. Hey, you you said that you had some new information. You said that the hobby is changing for you with this kind of hype. What is your model railroading update? Well, the big M layout's coming down. Um, mm-hmm. Last time I called you guys, you you talked to me about possibly talking to the the ops guys in uh, Credit Valley Fremo and mm. basically the sources around me. So I did get together with them. Um, since then, I've got to go to many. Uh, layouts. I joined the Fremo group and I really got into um, Trevor Marshall's layout. We met and he, he had me over. I saw his S scale layout and at the same time I picked up um, a book by the uh, an author named Ian Wilson. He does these uh, these books called Steam At and it's a uh, local branch line stuff all over Ontario and Southern Ontario with CN, which is what I'm modeling, and it's just fascinating. You can literally open a book, uh, pick a page, and he has everything prototypically done from a scale track plan of every branch line and city on that to what um, industries were served, what equipment did what. So after reading these books, seeing Trevor's layouts, learning about operations, and at the same time, my N-scale layout was just getting out of hand. I was just, it was becoming spaghetti. There was too much. I was not being able to detail as much as I like. And I figured that since I like the proto stuff, I like operations, and I like to do like hyper detail work, let's get out of the crazy basement layout. Let's make everything smaller, take what I've learned, and I bought a, uh, was that a 280 uh, Spectrum uh, used at Credit Valley, and then I posted a bunch of pictures there on uh, Model Rail Radio, but I basically used that as my first scratch build, tore it down to nothing, used the pictures in the book, and uh, now I've just finished it. So my, my plan is to, I have the the, uh, the van or the, the caboose for it, and um, just have a five six car extremely prototypically accurate set which i can then take to the freemo groups run until i get mine up and going and then possibly have a very small little switching type layout interesting interesting trevor marshall will do that to people i hear he he has that effect and then since then he's in my travels as you know i I travel Mm -hmm. a lot for a living um he's introduced me to other folks around the hobby and in ottawa i just had my first uh, G-Scale garden rail operating session, which was absolutely phenomenal. And mm. uh, what a cool group that was. I, I posted some pictures there to the site as well. I'd never seen something that large. It's a dangerous thing, knowing a right? lot of people in this hobby. So stick with your guns well, for, for as long as possible, I think. That's <laughs> the only advice I can give. It could get very costly. Although, yeah. yeah. 
that's exactly why I decided, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm sticking now with the HO branch line. It's what I really like. It's like a little time machine. It has steam ops and it has my, um, I can model it like I would do, you know, planes and robots mm-hmm. and ships from before. Very good. Very good. I can't understand how someone could live in your part of the world and not be aware of the resources that are available to you. But now I've made these resources available to you. What is actually going to happen with your Enscale Loud? Are you are you cutting it up, or what are you doing with it? Interestingly enough, through Facebook and the wonderful um, world of of you know the day we live in, mm-hmm. I just just saw on um, uh, the Canadian Modelers Facebook group mm-hmm. that uh, a guy who I was you know sharing Enscale advice with he purchased my train set that I put up for consignment. So I'm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in good hands, and good. what I plan to do is I may keep the uh, sound-equipped uh, DCC loco that I have and have a very little, maybe tiny, almost diorama-type thing. The bench work is probably going to go. The track, if I can sell it or give it to somebody, um, great. And the rolling stock, I'm consigned selling and stuff for... Uh, you know, just to and take that money and put it back into, let's say, the HO stuff to still have a, a cost control sort of thing to it. Certainly, certainly. It's nice to see people like your stuff that you sell too, which is kind of neat. Of it was neat to see it today. Definitely, yeah. definitely. So when you initially described it, I wasn't sure whether you were going with HO or ON30 because the locomotive that you described is available in both, I believe. So interesting. So HO... Smaller. What what kind of stuff are you going to be modeling with this new layout? Uh, are you familiar with any? I you've, I know you've been to Toronto before, but um, north of Toronto there is a couple of main lines which spurred out into various branch lines that were around in the fifties, pretty much just like the states pre highway stuff. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to do for now, the big plan is um, have the prototypical couple stock cars, couple tank cars, couple box cars and really work on that once that's done i would like to build a freemo module of the town i live in it Mm -hmm. it really works because there's no curves it's quite straight and then give it a lot of time and thought really research all these different end of the line um stations that were plentiful in uh in this area in the 50s Kind of, if you've seen Trevor's layout, uh, you'll notice that his layout, it ends with a, a little turntable, which would be the size of a 280 or a, uh, a, a loco of that size. And they would do their work and they would spin the, uh, they would turn the locomotive on the uh, little turntable. And then they would, the, op, the crew would just do their branch line pickups and setouts and head back to whatever main division point they came from. One of those, and a lot of them have uh, the Great Lakes involved too. So mm. you got train meeting barges and mm-hmm. boats. I just need something that works in the basement for me that I won't get bored of. And if that takes me three years to figure out, so be it. That's what the Fremo Group's for. Fascinating. I'm trying to think, I was thinking it was David Karkowski started modeling that area for a period of time. Yeah, no, visually, my my travels to Toronto, I can't remember whether it was one day or two days, but travelling up by train from, I think, probably Michigan. Must have been Michigan. And, yeah, the transition and the whole area, I mean, I was very visually struck by the crossing through the border and how things changed dramatically on the Canadian side. So yeah. yeah. These books, if you ever get a chance or if I, if I ever run into you one day, um, these books are just 
insanely well done. I mean, mm. this guy, it, you literally pick a layout and go. I mean, everything you need for a prototypical operation of a town, it's right there to scale. Mm. And it's fascinating that, you know, he did that all over Ontario. So it was a huge help to me. You may recall the gentleman by the name of Chris Abbott, who yes. really started off this podcast in a splendid fashion and has disappeared into the realm of Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, Dungeons and Dragons, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, he was an acolyte for Trevor Marshall in terms of general knowledge, but also, as you say, these books, yeah, which are just amazing. And in terms of knowing the authors, knowing the people that were putting out these works of history associated with minute, as you say, minute branch lines and all this kind of fascinating stuff, there is a strong network in your part yeah. of the world. Yes. Yeah, it's great, but, you know, here's to the podcast, because if it wasn't for, you know, like I say, the podcast and all that, I wouldn't have known any of it, even though it was five feet away from me, you know? Astonishing. Astonishing. Mm -hmm. You know the way we do things here, Bambi. You know the way things are done on Model Rail Radio. So please stay on the line. If anything comes up, you know what to do, and uh, you you try to hold out for three months in HO before you go to G. Just <laughs> well, the interesting thing there, I won't take up too much more of your time. Uh, two things. One thing I've learned, which is kind of neat with the G-Scale guys, is they all tend to own their own uh, locomotive, and uh, they have it all battery-packed and ready to go. And then when they show up to these places, the, the rolling stock is sort of there, almost like a big RPG sort of game. But uh, they take their locos home. So the only investment a lot of these guys made was the uh, the loco. But yeah, I'm not going to be doing that anytime soon. Mm. But I will never say never. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's about it. Always a pleasure chatting with you on Model Rail Radio, and I'm always a fan of your Facebook updates as well. I, I don't know. I, I live vicariously associated with your particular profession. So oh, catch me if like, you can as a favorite film of mine. And I, I think one day maybe I'll just take up impersonation or something like that. That's awesome. Actually, yeah, no, no worries. <laughs> Talk to you soon, Robbie. Take care. Take care. I'd like to welcome back on Jim Lincoln. You have been out of the hobby for, has it been six months, eight months? And then mysteriously, the proto bug bit you and uh-huh. you started doing some detailing again. What's been going on with your model railroading hobby? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, all of a sudden I decided, uh, yeah, the the computer games, but it, enough was enough and I just stopped. And uh, so I pulled out the... Um, I started work on the the uh, the Proto Forty Eight uh, module slash layout that I was working on, and I can't work on that because of the operation. So I've been building structures and detailing. Mm-hmm. Basically, what it came down to was I stopped overthinking things, and I said, you know what, I'll just do this. You know, I'll just paint it. You know, instead of worrying about how I'm going to dent up the, you know, mm-hmm. how I, you know, I really want to dent it up, and I don't know how to. I don't know how to um, do the rusting effect that I want, and I don't know how to. I was like, you know what? Just paint it. Mm-hmm. Just paint it. Just do something. <laughs> do something. No one else is going to know. You're the only one that's going to know. So, uh, and so I've just been trying a bunch of stuff. I, you know, first time I did chipping, um, a lot wow. of, you know, armor modeling and stuff yep, like certainly. that. I thought you were a chipping. I would have imagined you were a chipping master. No, no, no. I did other, I did other effects, but I'd mm. never done it. I mean, it's ferociously simple. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, no, I had never done it. So um, just did it today, as a matter of fact. Very cool. So convalescing, we talk periodically with people that have had surgeries and are convalescing. Model railroading is a great hobby for convalescing. Oh, yeah, because I don't have to get up and do anything. (laughs) You know, as long as you have everything. I'm very fortunate is that the desk that I'm sitting at right now, where where Mm -hmm. my computer is, has a glass top. Mm. So you can use, you know, you can use an exacto blade right on it. Mm-hmm. Don't have to worry about it. You know, okay, it's going to dull the blade, but that's why you have lots of them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and it's been working out really great. Um, but that um, I'm finishing what I'm what I'm working on right now is finishing up that um, that gondola that I had 3D printed the ends and cut off the ends and mm-hmm. you know the saga of the Lionel mm-hmm. gondola uh, is actually being finished that was the thing that i said i was so afraid of destroying it by denting it up Mm -hmm. that uh i was like you know what no one's really gonna know i'll see if i can i can make the same effect with paint and uh i'll just i'll just paint it get it done letter it up and it's coming along looks pretty good i think and to get my denting fix out i built one of the three bts kits that i have um and so that's uh mostly built that's mostly built but i've been concentrating on this and and my fanciful um structure mm. <laughs> that's a that's a joke that comes from the the name of it is a joke that comes from uh your um your sister podcast my sister podcast yes yeah that's amazing yeah. podcast i've got to say i was thinking of actually doing some oration associated with lionel strang and his creation it's more than a uh-huh. creation now it's it's an army, darn it. It's an army of, uh, of folk. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, my view is this is the power of podcasting, ladies and gentlemen. It can become things even greater than its origins. It is amazing to see the stuff that Lionel's done. And you are such a central part of the mythology. Well, you are of Model Rail Radio as well, but I mean, your AML network mythology. Yes. Are you getting royalty checks associated with this thing? No, I have to pay him, right? Oh, I have to. I'm, I'm the sponsor. I'm the sponsor. I'm supposed to pay him. I thought That's they were paying to use your name. Oh, I got it the wrong way around. I'm sorry. Yes. No. 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 Jim. Uh, Jim Lincoln shovels. I've got the shirt and everything. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, that whole thing. It's kind of funny. I'm on every podcast without actually being on them. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of kind of funny. I love that. I love the uh, goal horn. It makes me laugh every time I hear it. Yeah. Uh, and uh but it's interesting you may find this a couple of interesting notes mm-hmm. uh about my brother i have an older brother mm-hmm. uh he's eight years older than myself and he has just come into um he started liking trains again mm. so yeah it was kind of because of his train set way back when that i got into model railroading he had so, a lionel train set and I think I've told that story, but he, when he and his wife got married, they ended up having to sell it because they didn't have any room and they needed money and all this other stuff. And so the kid, kid, uh, my niece has moved out and all this other stuff. He's, you know, kind of doing this, doing that. And mm-hmm. his wife said, well, why don't you, you know, you always like trains. Why don't you get the Lionel train set again? And so he's seriously into Lionel. And mm-hmm. so he likes the setup. You know, and he's very much, he says, I understand what you do, Jim, but, you know, I like to set the tray, I like to set the track up on the floor and play with the kids. 
Mm. Spent three, three or four hours with the kids running the trains around Certainly. a million miles. But he said, you know, when you would buy your trains, I would never understand. He says, you know, it's, why is he buying all these trains? It doesn't make any sense. He's got so many. Why does he buy more? And now that I have them, it's a disease, Jim. It's like you look at this. It's like, oh, I need this one. Why do you need it? Because it's blue. Mm. You know, I don't have that one. And what I found is when I uh, I was able to go to Springfield with my brother. Oh, that's cool. And, and yeah, he had never gone to Springfield. Mm-hmm. He didn't, he didn't know what it was. And he met some of he met Craig Biskire and some mm-hmm. various other people. And uh, we were walking around, and it's it was nice because now okay, I'm Proto Forty Eight. I do all this stuff, but he does three rail, mm-hmm. and so now it it allows me to. Uh, hey, that looks cool. Now, I'm not going to run it on my railroad, but my brother can use it. (laughs) Model railroading, bringing the Lincolns back together again. This is family therapy and many other different levels. And it's actually quite beautiful that your brother can see you not only as, obviously, his brother, but also as Jim Lincoln, model railroader extraordinaire. People still refer to you as the traveling turnout priest as well. Which yeah, is the moniker I heard I that. Kicked off. I heard that reference uh, recently on one of the uh, the episodes. I've been listening through episodes, been ke- trying to catch up with a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, one of the things we found at the show. Now you may understand what this is. Uh, your wife being a Disney file. Mm-hmm. As we're walking through the show, uh, I had just come from Disney, so. Mm-hmm. A gentleman was selling a very nice MTH bobber caboose mm. and lettered for the Carrollwood Pacific. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that is? Is it the singing grizzlies or something? No, no, no. The Carrollwood Pacific. That was Walt Disney's personal right. model railroad at his house. Certainly. I've got the book and actually at arm's length away. So, ah. yes, yes. So it was one of these, oh, my God, do you have any idea what that is? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to spend whatever amount of money that costs. And it was only 70 bucks, which was quite nice. Yeah. Uh, so it's not Austin. T- you know, if you're a Disney file, you know what it is. But if it's not over the top Disney, like a lot of Disney stuff is. Mm. And so. Actually, muted Disney, I think, is very much. I'm, I'm very much muted Disney. Well, except for it's a small world. But aside from that. But uh, <laughs> my, my perspective is actually muted Disney, I think, is just as valid a form of Disney as you know, completely over the oh, yeah. top Disney. So yes. And and so what I'm going to do on this this traveling Proto forty eight layout mm-hmm. is uh I bought I bought one of these cabooses for my brother. Mm, I cool. said, uh, you know, I want you to have this and I want you to give it to your wife because your wife is really into into Disney too. So and he went home he went home, he called the guy back and he sent me one in the mail. So I have one too. Very cool. And I've proto forty eighted it. Uh-huh. So, because uh, my brother said, do it. Said, All right. So what I've decided to do, I just won a, um, <laughs> I've just, I recently won a uh, eBay auction for an unlettered Proto 48 locomotive. Hmm. And uh, I believe that I'm going to have that lettered for Carrollwood Pacific. So that will be the railroad that kind of runs things on the, uh, on that little railroad. So it's actually going to be an homage to Walt Disney and the Carrollwood Pacific. I don't, Walt Disney was really into the older, like Civil Certainly. War type motives. Yes, definitely. And that's not really my thing. 
but um, this is one of the. It's a fifty ton, fifty ton GE diesel, uh, so very diminutive. Uh, Southern Pacific had one, and it was narrow gauge. Mm. Um, and so I just thought that you know that's one of the things I'm going to be doing. Uh, so people think, oh, Jim's a you know a, a what what is the word? Prototype rivet proto- counter? I don't know what. They're yeah, the things yeah, I can pro- say on this pro- podcast. I mean, proto Nazi. Yeah, and yeah, well, yeah, sort of. But you know, this way I get it. You know, I can make it realistic, but that doesn't mean you know. I mean, the station. The station is. I, mean, I think you saw it. I made a New Haven station sign that says Bitten Limb, Rhode Island," um, and with Bitten Limb BL variety mm-hmm. because of the the old joke that happened on um, I think a viewer mail about. Rhode Island, there's a law in Rhode Island that says you can't bite off somebody's leg. Mm. Um, and you can bite off somebody's arm, but you can't bite off. It's against the law to bite off someone's leg in the state of Rhode Island. Mm. Uh, Rhode Island is a yeah. very... I'm, I'm listening to a podcast which is just finished called Crime Town, which is about the kind of mafioso underpinnings of Rhode Island. Uh, yeah. And it's a very interesting... Yeah, I don't know. I've never really understood Rhode Island, but I understand that those that do do it excessively but i'm a little bit rhode island out if such a thing would exist apologies to listeners in rhode island i will take your calls but yeah the mythology of rhode island i think is um i don't know i'm just like i'm done with it already i've got mafioso gangster types that live in my neighborhood i want podcasts on them done it anyway jim link i know yeah it's just sadly i live five minutes away from the border yes so I can't I can't really escape it. Yeah. Sadly, I I thought it was very fascinating that I, when I was at the Springfield show, I saw an F forty painted for McDonald's, mm. and I was like, "Wow, that's cool! I could run that on my brother's railroad." Yes, and so, so it begins. Yes, thankfully no. <laughs> well, I controlled. We never myself. know. We never, One never know. Knows, but I, but I did control myself. Yes. Oxycontin's a hell of a drug, Jim Lincoln. Be careful. Yes, it is. So drugs, been... are, drugs are not necessary. Yes. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway, moving on from this topic, Jim. Yeah. Always a pleasure chatting. I'm glad to see you back in the hobby. Uh, please, um, please rest up and heal up, and you know, I, I don't know. I'm always sensitive to people that have surgeries and these kind of things. So hopefully, you'll be fighting fit and uh, off the oxycontin in some time in the foreseeable future, and. Who knows um, what direction you will take the hobby? Well, actually, um, hopefully next weekend I'll be hooking up with Terry Terrence. Ooh, very good. And cool. we'll be going to the O-Scale National, which happens to be in um, um, Connecticut. Very cool. So Pass he my said, regards to Terry. Please do. I will. I will. I said that uh, I was concerned that I might not be able to drive mm. 10, days after, 10 days after an operation. <laughs> and he said, I'll come down, I'll pick you up, and I'll take you out there. Terry oh, Terrence nice. is just, I mean, when I think of people in this hobby that are just like salt of the earth people, I mean, yes. a lot of them have participated in Model Rail Radio. I, I reflect on Jim Gore and a variety of other folk, but Terry Terrence, just inspirational. I mean, inspirational yep. within this hobby and has just touched so many people. And when I think of all the, the rise of N scale 3D laser printing, I mean, that, that occurred in the room beneath me at show 100. Terry Terrence, Talking to a bunch of end scalers, they all went away and started <laughs> creating, and the world cool. has never been the same. So. Very cool. And I will tell you this one little mm-hmm. piece of information. 
just to uh, I don't know what this if this means anything or not, but uh, I don't have very much. So I was not overly concerned about uh, having the operation, but you always have to be. Of course. So, uh, you know, I just wrote some stuff out and I said, you know, I want the dogs to go to so-and-so mm-hmm. and I want mm-hmm. this, this to happen and this to happen. And just so you know, had anything happened, I was giving you the chocolate. Oh, my goodness. Now, only because I know even if you couldn't use it, you'd find a good home for Oh, it. most definitely, Jim Lincoln. Well, I, so, I am humbled by that. No, I said, and no, I, I won't I mention said, this to my wife because we both watch Forensic Files. And if you uh-huh. turn up dead in a few days, it's not going to look good <laughs> for me. But moving on from that, I am humbled, Jim Lincoln. Thank you very much. That's, I just, fig- just figured I'd tell you. I'm like, who the heck am I going to give that to? Tom. Tom, Tom can use a layout, and if he, even if he can't, I'm sure he can find a good place so for it. Let's make another. Let's put it another way. Are you using the chocolate currently? No. Are you looking to get rid of it? No. Okay. Well, we'll, Why? we'll leave this conversation there. I just, I'm, I'm looking at the space. I finally, after years of like migrating my podcasting room and all this other stuff, my wife's sisters came and stayed. One stayed in the Jim Lincoln suite and one stayed in my podcasting room. And I'm just thinking this room needs a layout. My wife wants to put in a desk and a printer and a bunch of other stuff. And I thought, no, this room needs a layout, darn it. I mean, this hobby uh-huh. thing. So, it's... yeah, I'm, I'm looking. You probably have better feelers associated with folks that might be, in, in fact, listeners. Who am I talking to here? We'll probably have better feelers associated with folks that are looking to get rid of shelf layouts and this kind of stuff. But that's what I'm looking for currently. Ideally, a slightly loved layout. Of a certain size, not huge, easily okay, transportable. I will cover all the uh, FedEx, DHL, UA, UPS, all that kind of stuff, so don't worry about that. But um, okay. feel free to, uh, listeners, pitch me any allowance that you're looking to get rid of. Well, Tom, mm-hmm. the one thing I will say about the chocolate is you would need to scenic it, mm-hmm. but it, it runs. Mm-hmm. It's 100% operational. Yes. So, if you're interested, we'll chat offline. It's an N-scale layout, though, right? It's N-scale. It's 10 by 7. Alas. Well, 10 by 7 is the right size, but N-scale, I'm just getting out of that thing. So, I'm looking more for HO, ON30, O-scale at a pinch. So, folks that might have something like that out there, I do periodically, periodically being roughly once a week, look on eBay associated with layouts. And I do, there's there's a crew in, I think, Stockton, which is a few towns over, that makes amazingly detailed shelf layouts. And I've thought about commissioning something from them, particularly an aquamarine, like a small aquamarine switcher. I think I'd have a lot of time for it. And they do beautiful wa- water work and particularly that kind of stuff that um, Ed Traxler is known for as well, that kind of murky industrial water, which I just really love. So, yeah. But anyway, I'm just putting it out there. Listeners to Model Rail Radio, and you know who you are. It doesn't have to be the chocolate. It doesn't have to be bequeathed to me. Um, I can work <laughs> things out. <laughs> uh, Jim, I'm not going to mention this to my wife. She's not going to have any fun with this, but I'm thankful that you think of me in your will. And, uh-huh. um, I don't Such know. As it is. I, I've got a few ninja pajamas I could probably bequeath to you. I'll, I'll have a think about what I bequeath <laughs> to you. Those have come out on occasion. I've, uh, very good. Those have, that's a, that's a great statement. Um, right. Ron Kleiss is only no, on I, for I, half an hour. I've got to get to I, him. Any excuse sorry. to get off Jim Lincoln on Oxycontin? Always okay. a pleasure, Jim. You know Just, what to do. I'll Stay on the line if anything yep. comes up. Roger. Very good.
Like to welcome back our Ron Kleiss. As noted in the break, it has been an inordinately long time since we've had a chance to chat, Ron. I am living vicariously through your garden update. I, I have this notion of Kleiss Manor now. You've taken so many like long range shots where the house is just like in the distance and there's like all these rolling <laughs> gardens that I'm just imagining because this is a serious thing. September 2018, you and I are going to be meeting. I'm hoping to meet the family. I'm hoping to see you all out. I'm hoping to do a variety of things because I am coming to talk as some kind of authority. We'll cross that bridge when you meet me. Associated with this <laughs> podcasting thing. And I am really looking forward to getting to the East Coast. It's been a long time coming, but I'm really looking forward to meeting you and the family. In terms of my railroading, am, am I right? Has there not really been a lot going on with the loud? Has he been working on the garden? What's been going on? Uh, yeah, you're right. A lot of stuff out in the garden, mm-hmm. uh, doing a lot of projects. But the... The layout, the main layout that most people are aware of, the the narrow gauge, um, I haven't done much with that one hmm. because a, a shiny little sparkly thing called Canal Street uh-huh. uh, caught my eye. And I've been doing model railroading, but it's a totally different genre. It's actually a switching layout that I uh, was turned on to by Ralph Heiss. And he just happened to put up a one little uh, little blurb about this Canal Street in Philadelphia. And I was looking at it. I've always enjoyed Philadelphia. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was born there. I, I hung out there as a teenager and young twi- a 20-year-old and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I always uh, like the, the cobblestone streets. And the, I would always catch – you could see the trolley tracks in in the, the road still. It's not – some of it's used, some of it's not. Mm-hmm. But then he showed me this link um, to this Canal Street branch, basically, of the Pennsylvania Railroad. It's actually uh, the Philadelphia Beltline Railroad. So I started looking at it. I was like, wow, this is really cool. It's only, a, it's barely a quarter mile long, just under a quarter mile long, but it has 12 different industries on it. And every industry has a different commodity going mm. to it. So um, I, I did the, the chocolate thing that Jim James Lincoln mm-hmm. there did. And I took the liberty of using the plotter printer at my work. Mm-hmm. And I found this Sanborn map from 1916. Uh, that had all the tracks in it, had all everything on on there. From they did great surveying back there, back then, because when I printed it out and laid it out, it, it matched almost exactly um, to the the current 2017 Google Maps that are out there. Uh, I I'm doing it in a modular style. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of like Fremo type, but uh, it's going to be. In, I guess it'll be more of the sectional style type of layout. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Um, where um, just the end plate, like the, one of the end plates on the on one end, I'll, I'll have that as a um, connection to a, a Fremo type style. So the rest of it, it'll be only be able to set up in one one way because I'm doing it one for one chocolate style. It's going to be exactly the way the tracks are. The buildings are going to be built the way they exactly are. This shiny thing really caught my eye. Mm. So uh, <laughs> the narrow gauge is a little bit on the back burner. So where have you set this thing up? Is it in your woodshop room, or where are you actually setting it up? Yep, it's in the it's in the basement. Mm-hmm. Um, I put it on my workbench. And I'll do two sections at a time and and make sure they're all lined up. And I'm I got alignment pins, and I have yet to start building legs. Um, to I only have three sections. Eventually, it's going to be probably five sections in total. So mm. I have two more sections to build. Uh, and then plus the little um, transition plate to Fremo at the end. 
Um, but just as a proof of concept, I wanted to get these three sections because it, the, the main section has a runaround mm-hmm. and it has one, two, I think that has three industries just on the first section. And I, I built a, a section on each direction so I can have some room to run around and, ha- and each one of those sections has one, two, three, five more industries on that. So, uh, I, I'm pretty excited about it. I, there's a lot of new techniques that I'm starting to try and figure out. Uh, just tonight, a couple hours ago, I finished my first single point turnout. Hmm. I've never done that. Uh, it was a little bit of a challenge. I looked at pictures. I looked at stuff online. Uh, I basically took the um, number six fast tracks jigs that I have, mm-hmm. and I, I modified it and uh, ended up building. It, it's kind of a weird configuration with the street running and stuff. Because they try and minimize, I guess, the moving parts in the street, so they only have Certainly. one moving Certainly. one moving point, uh, and it, it works. One little hiccup that I have is because the one moving point has uh, beveled edges on both sides. Certainly. It doesn't have it doesn't have a lot of meat to it. The, the, the base kind of gets filed away. So I'm thinking of kind of hollowing out one of the guardrails. I guess uh, what's happening is the the throw bar is only getting soldered to the one point, so that's the only strength it has is on that one point and since i filed it down so thin there is no room for solder to kind of grab on and, and mm. hold on it works great until the the throw bar decides to say eh, I, i'm done and pops yes. off yes interesting interesting you sound like you're having a lot of fun ron i'm looking forward to seeing you september next year i'm looking forward to getting potentially i mean you've obviously got so many folks in your area I'm interested in doing some serious G-scale stuff as well, which I know is... You, you're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to be overwhelmed with the amount of people in this area. Yes, yes. I've already promised Brandon DiCamillo and my other podcast, Attic Aficionados, that I'll run a D&D game for him down in uh, just outside of Philadelphia. So I'm going to be buying time. My anticipation is to take two weeks off work and come in very seriously and just hit up a bunch of louts and get in contact with a bunch of people. So... Really yeah, looking def- forward to it, and yeah, I, I'm enjoying your other podcast. I think Brandon's actually right down in the same area as uh, Ralph De Blasi, so you might get to see Grumpy Ralph there. Believe me, the whole hotbed, I think, is the technical term. Hotbed of model railroaders and just generally eccentric folk, and obviously Brandon ticks a few of those boxes too. So, really <laughs> looking forward to uh, to getting down there. Unfortunately, we didn't get to your question associated with GI Joe. I think we're going to do a GI Joe specific show. And cover that in great detail because I'm a complete novice associated with that. But no, I'm, I'm always pleased to see work of any description coming out of Kleist Manor. And certainly what I've seen recently has been very, very interesting. I love the use of large format printers, actually. I think that's the one element that's been missing from the hobby. And obviously, as you said, Jim Lincoln started the trend associated with the initial chocolate printing. Uh, but yeah, large wow. format printers should really be utilized wherever possible. In this it hobby. comes in, it comes in really handy. I mean, instead of sitting there doing a bunch of eight and a half by 11s mm-hmm. and taping them together oh, and hoping yeah. they're lined up, if yeah. you can get your, if you can get your, your CAD drawing sent, even if I think like Staples or Office Max, something like that, one of those printing shops, they, as long as you get it properly scaled, they, it, it's amazing what a you know forty two inch wide swath of track looks like. Oh yeah. And when you just lay this thing down, it's it makes it really handy. And if you can do it in color, all the better. Most definitely. Most definitely. And if you can use work office supplies, even better. 
I, I'm just cleaning out the printer heads. Of course. That's all I'm doing. As you have to with these kind of printers. It's, it's a requirement. Yes. Definitely. So Definitely. After, when, I'm, when I'm done with that, I can clean, print up a, a nice, crisp, clean blueprint for, for work. Exactly. Exactly. Most definitely. Ron, you, <laughs> as, as you listen in, you haven't been on the show for a while. Uh, any topics that we've come up with? Anything that's piqued your interest that you'd like us to talk about more? Um, not really. I, now that I'm getting the street running, the trolley stuff is really catching my eye. Mm. I'm not doing any overhead. There's no overhead uh-huh. electrical wire, and trolleys weren't run on this line. But just the trackage really fascinates me. It's a little bit sharp for some of the, the radius mm-hmm. that uh, trolleys have, but I, I've always enjoyed the trolley stuff. I, I get my fix when I go over to my friend Tom Pigrillo's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has his trolley line, and uh, but that... That's probably another little shiny thing that will eventually catch my eye. And I'll <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, when, when I look at the garden, I'm thinking G-Scale is somewhere in your future. I'm not sure where, but I'm sure it's coming. So, uh, so many people talk to me about that. They see pictures and like, where's the Garden Railroad going to be? Where's the Garden yes. Railroad? And I said, just let me get my tomatoes growing. Yeah. I, I've had very poor weather for tomatoes this year. And Unless. my peppers... Cold. It was cold and rainy, mm. and we had about four days of hot weather. And mm-hmm. within those four days, my plants have doubled in size at least. Oh yeah, yeah. No, because all of a sudden they're like, "Holy cow!" Well, they put down you know, roots, they- right? Even through the bad weather, they're putting down roots. Roots don't stop yeah. growing. So as soon as they get some sun, they just shoot up. Yeah, I have, I have fruiting tomatoes currently. Hopefully they'll redden. I bought early ripening varieties this year. Uh, because the real problem I have is that they just get woody and then, you know, the fruit is reduced. So I went for yeah. fast fruiting varieties and these things are giants. I mean, I have tomato cages that are clearly way too small for these things. They're kind of extending three, four <laughs> feet above the cages. So anyway, you live and learn, but you get delicious tomatoes some of the time. So always a I'm, hoping, right? I'm hoping this year. <laughs> Great to chat you. And um, you know what, the way we do things, please stay on the line. And uh, if anything comes up, you know what to do. Yep, I'm going to hang out for a little bit longer. Thanks, Tom. Terrific. Talk to you soon. Take care. I'd like to welcome on Brad Howard. Brad, as this is the first time you're calling into Model Rail Radio, would you like to introduce your model railroading interests? Uh, yeah, I got an HO scale layout. I'm just starting up, actually, with the hobby. I just started uh, at the beginning of this year. So, when you came on the call, you had the video running in the background, and you look like you have a pretty established layout already in, what, six six months? But who, uh, inspired, yeah. who inspired your bench work and stuff? I mean, your bench work was pretty flawless, at least from three feet away. Just some YouTube videos and things like that. Just uh, been watching YouTube and spending a lot of time on that. Uh, Interesting. Doing research and stuff. So, could you introduce your layout? What are you actually modeling? What area, what, what kind of stuff are you modeling? Uh, it's mostly freelance right now. I'm still trying to work out uh, what I want to do, actually. I just uh, had to get something up and get some trains running. And, uh, I got a Helix and I started. So, I mean, I guess uh, that's what I saw, basically, in the background when you had the video running. So, do you have a particular era that you're thinking about? Uh, modern day. Okay, interesting, interesting. And in terms of the space that you have available, how big will the layout be? How big I want it to be or how big my wife wants it to be? <laughs> let's start with how big <laughs> you want it to be, and then let's talk about the realistic constraints that might be applied. Well, the current layout room I got right now is uh, it's about 11 by 14. Mm-hmm. And then um, we just cleaned some more of the basement out, and she uh, 
she actually said I might be able to extend it a little bit. Um, so I'm going to uh, try to take as much as I can, if you know what I mean. Interesting. Interesting. So is the current layout room on the basement level, or would it be a movement down to the basement? No, it's uh, currently in the basement. Oh, interesting. Okay, so you'd expand from the room into the remaining parts of the basement. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And what, what, how big would that expand to if you had your full trackage rights? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, probably another 10 by 14 feet, maybe. Oh, okay, good. Kind of so around a, in an L shape. But... Interesting. So you could get some decent operating, you could get a crew down there and do some interesting stuff. Yeah, hopefully I could maybe get a crew of about four to six people if I can do it. It's a it's a long-term process, though, as it is. In terms of the part of the world that you're in, do you want to disclose that? Do you have folks around you or this kind of stuff? Um, I'm, as you would say, a lone wolf, uh, as mm-hmm. I just started. Um, I'm still trying to, uh, I guess, get, get together with some people. Um, but uh, I'm in uh, basically the Kansas City metro area. Oh, my goodness. You are in the second largest epicenter for model railroaders in the U.S. So just by putting this out on model rail radio, we had a fellow who came from this part of the world. What was it, Seth Arnold? And he moved to your part of the world, and basically every night was model rail filled, having just come on the show. So you've got, like, the head publisher of the NMRA, uh, a bunch of folk in your part of the world that have just world-class layouts. So... Your time may be filled now with Model Railroad. <laughs> well, I can only, uh, only hope so. Uh, depends on what my wife likes to say. But. Well, yes. They tend to be rather friendly gentlemen, and, you know, they, they have techniques in order to make wives change their minds in very curious fashions, as has happened with my wife periodically. So don't underestimate the power of persuasion that these Model Railroad folk will have. But, no, you are in, you are in a substantial hub. For model rail folk, and in fact, people who even come into town, you know, there are many, many operating layouts in your area. So you may not be lone wolf for much longer. In terms of doing things like joining the NMRA or at least going to local meets or this kind of stuff, have you done anything like that? Jim? I have not. I have not. Um, I've been busy with, uh, you know, work and family and then. Every little bit, I just try to work on this and uh, spare money. But uh, I'm interested to go try things out and Certainly. meet some people. So. so Stephen Priest is the gentleman's name who's the main editor. I think for a long period of time, I was friends with his wife on Facebook. There are a number of other folk in that area that have established layouts. I mean, really, it's just a matter of you picking what kind of stuff interests you more than anything. Because that area is, um, like I say, a major hub. And certainly we have a number of listeners in the area as well. So yeah. in terms of the stuff, I mean, you've talked about wanting to get people there for operations. In terms of actually assistance with, like, building the layout and this kind of stuff, are you looking for that kind of help as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd always uh, like some help. It's just uh, trying to gather some more resources to get it uh, get it together. Certainly. Uh, You're a part of the Facebook group, I'm assuming, the Model Rail Radio Facebook group? I am. So I will contact Seth Arnold, who's still, I think he's in our part of the world now. He lives in Livermore, California. But he certainly has all the old names and email addresses and stuff when he lived in your part of the world. So I'll get in contact with him and put him in contact with you, and uh, you'll be a lone wolf no more. <laughs> Maybe well, I'll try I being a lone wolf, I don't know. But my view is, in your part of the world, you've got too many resources to learn from. Um, and in particular, many, many, many like long-term established operating layouts and many people that are on their you know, fifth, sixth, seventh layout. 
And also in terms of regional techniques, I mean, a lot of the, I mean, your bench work looks pretty good from, like I said, three feet away. But in terms of people that have like regional knowledge of, you know, various spline techniques and these kind of things, I think you'll have, you'll be spoiled for choice. So I'll put you in contact with Seth Arnold and he'll put you in contact with all the locals. Very interesting. Very interesting. And then obviously you will just through force of people, you know, your basement will be neatly filled in a very short order of time. So you're modeling modern. You don't have a particular prototype yet, but what kind of, you obviously like operations in some sense, right? Yes, that's, that's kind of what I, I actually like some operations and uh, moving things around the yards and different things. What so. kind of industries are you looking at putting on the layout? Oh, a coal mine and um, some just industries around uh, my main yard here. And then uh, I was uh, going to do some other things and then I got maybe this new expansion. So I've been thinking on uh, maybe some stuff around like a seaport or something. That would be cool. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm just yeah. uh, kind of thinking on uh, what, what I can do. So. so as you listen to Model Rail Radio, what kind of stuff could we be talking about that we're not covering currently? What kind of stuff would interest you? Well, I actually just uh, about a month ago maybe found you okay. uh, on uh, on the podcast, so I'm still still trying to catch up with uh, all the, all the past. I actually started with uh, show 99 and uh, have just uh, today actually caught up with uh, uh, your last one. So, and then oh, I have cool. to go back and go back and start over. <laughs> so, yes, but, um, every, everything seems good. I'm trying to learn as much as I can. Uh, so. With the, on your podcast and then obviously with YouTube and everything. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, John Garrity in the chat, who is a coal mine expert, said that coal mines can eat up a lot of real estate. They don't have to, though. I think if you're dedicating to a coal mine, then obviously you can take up a substantial portion of the layout. But a lot of people have, like, coal mine elements on their layout as well. So it can be the case that we're John Garrity, but really everyone has a choice. So, Brad, I'm really interested in connecting you with Seth. I think that would provide a a lot of resources immediately for you. And thank you very much for calling in today and introducing your, your ideas and your location and your layout, because I think that will certainly assist connecting folks with you as well. Well, I think, thank you a lot, Tom. Appreciate it. I'd like to welcome back on a gentleman who, at this time of year, coming towards the end of June... It reminds me, this is the Jim Gifford and Roz time of year associated when they came to stay with us. Podcasting room and uh, the Jim Lincoln suite are both ready once again for guests, as they were when you came through. That trip, Jim, goes down in the owls of model rail radio and just model rail podcasting in general as being one of the most extraordinary tours ever undertaken. A year after or nearly a year after when you first departed for this. Can you talk a little bit about how your life changed having done that tour? I guess the first thing was it took me six or eight weeks to get over it. <laughs> no, we had an absolutely fabulous time. I guess the biggest, some of the biggest lessons were how the clubs organised themselves oh, yeah. to so that they've got a sustainable future in terms of locations and buildings. Certainly. You know, we've talked to a few back here that, I've been in places and had to move half a dozen times in the last 15 years. And, oh, yeah. And I think they're starting to, to get the idea of make it a community service and uh, come to an agreement with your local government. And, certainly. Uh, certainly the, the Sama Club here in Adelaide has, has just done that uh, a couple of years back. So 
perhaps they've learned something from our brethren across the other side of the world. But uh, no, no, you know, we're starting to uh, reflect on God. It's been a year already. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this, this, all the people coming on tonight, you know, Ron and Jim, uh, Mike Slater, you know, we all, we all caught up during that trip and, uh, you know, made some really great uh, uh, friendships that I'm sure are going to continue on over the years. Certainly. Yeah, Model Mail yeah. Radio has just been an amazing means of getting in contact with a bunch of really interesting and friendly people. And I think that's, you know, as as the years go on and the podcast editing goes on and, you know, Michelle looks at me periodically and says, this Model Rail Radio thing still going on. I'm like, yes, it is. It's really about friendships more than anything. I mean, it's an amazing resource to have reached out to so many people and put people in contact and I'm going to put Brad in contact with Seth and all these kind of things, this network that Model Rail Radio and the other Model Rail Radio podcasts obviously have created, just absolutely untouchable. I mean, I met your son recently as well, you know. It goes yes. in all different directions. Yes, it certainly does. And, um, you know, apart from this one, I enjoy listening to your other ones as well. So um, they're always thought-provoking, and uh, uh, which is good. And um, I guess things have been a little bit busy down here. Uh, you know, I met... Uh, John and the prof and a few oh, others yes. at the narrow gauge convention, How was that? which was which was great. We had a terrific weekend. Um, it was a boys' weekend. Certainly, and, um, the red wine flowed first night uh-huh. and subsequent nights. <laughs> Very cool. Um, but no, no, the convention was good. Even though we don't model in ON thirty mm-hmm. or or narrow gauge, the you know the techniques and stuff um, are, are pass across scales, and that was great. Managed to get. Quite a few photos and a uh, few videos, and we had a great train ride on the Bellarine Railway mm. on the on the Monday. Um, plus, then I went out to Peters and had a week of playing with Arduino stuff for model railways. Yes, and I, and I must say the Arduino platforms are considerably easier than the Texas Instrument certainly launchpad platform. Certainly, larger yeah. community. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, there's so much stuff you can draw on. There's so many different examples out there. Um, the last week or so, I've just been doing a, a fast clock mm. based on the CPU clock. Yep. And would you believe it? It keeps time lovely. Mm. It's, which, which amazed me. I thought that, nah, it, was, it would go off after a while. But no, ran it for 18 hours and it was only a, one or two seconds different to when it started. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. So, yeah, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, I've got my, uh, remember when we were at Seth Newman's and he had the opening gates and the derail? Certainly. Certainly. I've, I've, I've got that working on mine, albeit I've got to fit the proper gates on the top instead of the masking tape. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah, but that, that sort of stuff's working now, so. So in terms um, of your crew, we've, we've had on the American Chris Adams. In terms of the Australian Chris Adams, how's this layout going? Oh, I've just finished putting some lead light stripping underneath. Ooh. His top level, so we can actually see what the hell's going on in the storage area. Very good. <laughs> we, we have started ops there, and mm-hmm. um, the first operating session we had a disaster. A trip, we had a three-way point that decided to uh, throw the one of the uh, closure rails, and mm. uh, ended up we had to take part of the top section off and rip that out and put two others in. <laughs> but um, no, so that that's been happening. Um, He's been building um, some of his cardboard models going from summer to winter, decided to warp. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you'll see some of that in the blog this month because I happened mm-hmm. to score some pictures and said, nah, I've got to share this. <laughs> it, was, it was all about stiffening it properly, you know. Yes. <laughs> yes. So um, it's interesting, you know, in the summer they're nice and flat and in the winter they're curled up. <laughs> yes. Welcome so, to South Australian weather. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Well, you're sweltering and we were uh, eight degrees this morning. Yes. So, uh, that's Celsius. So, certainly. Sorry, which is certainly. Quite and how about Roz? What's, what's happened? I mean, obviously, in terms of reinvigoration in the hobby, the trip last year, I mean, Roz not necessarily was in the dumps when she came out, but, you know, obviously Pam had passed. The hobby was getting a little long in the tooth for her in a variety of different fashions. And I could see just in the time here completely re-energized and then what additional two months worth of, of meeting people what what's happening with Ross? Well, well i achieved my objective it's actually doing things again now mm-hmm. <laughs> but um hasn't done too much down the hole we we have put in a um a crossover mm-hmm. thing with protection on each side so that you know you can only have you're not going to have a cornfield meat in the side of the train so done that for for her um but uh, we'd still go to her place probably about every four weeks and have a okay. modelling night cool. on a Monday night. Um, cool. We're doing a lot more off-roading this year. As I'm having one session a month. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going up to Wayne's in Coromandel Valley oh, once a month. Cool. We're going to Chris's. Mm-hmm. We're going to... Um, and Don, uh, the big tall guy that was in Orient Express that mm-hmm. I was talking mm-hmm. to when Certainly. you were talking to the boss, Certainly. He's now come back and become active, and for next month, it's another layout we're going to be uh, going mm-hmm. through ops sessions. So, a lot more ops this year. Right. Uh, and and we're, all, we're all learning, because people have got different systems and are in different stages of, of implementing things like car cards and uh, stuff. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting. The, the timetable and train order with car cards is uh, running to the clock. Is um, it's certainly to learn it? It's quite challenging, but once mm. people initially hate the clock, mm-hmm. but in actual fact, the, the clock ends up being your friend. Certainly, because if the, if everything falls over, they'd stop the clock. Yes, <laughs> you know. yes. Uh, but but certainly the 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 amount of technical problems on each of the layouts has been reducing dramatically. So Very good. Um, you know, as we as we've done the ops and. And, uh, you know, we have to play with a few things. You always get those little areas that cause particular problems. It's just a case of spending a few hours on someone's layout with those that have got the skills to tissy it. Amen. Amen. Mm. Yep. So, should be good. Very good, Jim. Very good. Well, you know what to do. Please stay on the call. If anything comes up, we'll uh, we'll chat again. But real pleasure catching up. And please pass on my regards to all your crew. Yes, um, I will do that, and I just need Jim Lincoln to rattle Terry Terence's cage and to remind him that the <laughs> convention's going to be over and to get back and do his his, uh, his microprocessor stuff that he's oh, always doing. Retirement <laughs> has not been good for Terry Terence in terms of doing stuff, right? I yeah, will try to do that. Yeah, I know you'll rattle his cage for me, Jim. <laughs> that's all Jim does, right? He's just a cage rattler. That's, that's yeah, lovely. Primary amen. Role. Yes, amen. <laughs> all right. And uh, oh, I forgot to mention Mike earlier, too. It was nice to catch up with Mike and see him on the call again, too. So. Most definitely. All right. I'll Talk see you on the side. Take care. 
I'd like to welcome back our Martin Jenkins. Martin, I still smile when I think of your first call when you introduced yourself as a lone wolf modeler. We've since had video evidence. Well, in fact, we've had a lot of evidence that this clearly wasn't the case. And associated with your area, the video that you posted, was it the Rockhampton meet? The Rockhampton train show that you went to? It's a, the, the Bundaberg to- train show. Was it Bundaberg or Toowoomba? It was Toowoomba. Well, was there's it? Bundaberg, Toowoomba and Brisbane on there at the moment. In terms of the Toowoomba train show, I go to train shows here and they're, not to put too fine a point on it, they're rather sombre affairs. They're almost like funerals. Well, they are funerals. They're funerals for train sets that are overpriced, being oversold, and are kind of pushed to people as they first walk in. Sure, there are layouts, but there's nothing like what you showed. Just to say, let's just stick with Toowoomba. Because I watched that video three times and passed it on to a variety of folk. Just to point yep. out some of the things that are lacking in the local train show community. Can you talk a little bit about, I mean, the beauty that I liked associated with the Toowoomba video is it wasn't just people such as yourself who were familiar with the various players in the area, but actually the kids and the integration of people with controllers in their hands and all the real basics that are just sadly lacking from so many train shows, just absolutely perfectly done. Yes, we we do have up in, in Queensland here a number of uh, modelers that uh, have U-drive sections of their own layouts, mm. um, and that would probably be about eight or nine of them at, a, at, mm-hmm. a, at each show. I mean, the idea of going to shows is to tr- promote the hobby and try and get kids interested in it. Um, that's why we use, uh, on our club layout, we use Raspberry Pis and iPads mm-hmm. to drive the to drive the uh, layout. We don't actually use any DCC system or any computer, uh, such as a Windows or a Macintosh <laughs> machine. It's all, all done um, with a Raspberry Pi 3 uh, and a little booster. But um, that's one of the things we've tried to do in the NMRA up here is try and promote the hobby and, and have integration with the, with the public. Mm. It is so important and it's so missing in so many shows that when I saw it, I thought... <laughs> My frustration is that you can say these things to people and they can go, mm, yeah, but it never worked. Things would break down. People would get bored. People can't control trains. This whole concept of them moving in directions and at speeds far too advanced for the general public. I mean, there's all this kind of nonsense that people say associated with these things. And then I see a show such as the Toowoomba one and people are doing it. They've got kids, you know, six, seven-year-old kids driving trains, having a great time, understanding the hobby, the kinetics of the hobby in a very intimate way and clearly bringing up another generation of folk that are going to be model railroaders. So, I mean, hats off to you. In terms of your local NMRA group, if I can get this back to the national here in the US, if this could be something that can be used in, like, regional NMRAs over here and also... I think the fundamentals of the train shows here are just very, very strange. I was in San Diego with my wife about two months ago now, and we went to the San Diego layout. I'm not sure of its name, but it's in a historic area, and everyone says, oh, this is, this is you know, the forefront of model railroading. And certainly when Jim and Ros were here, they went down to San Diego and they went to that layout as well. Every possible mistake associated with interacting with the general public was made you kind of spat out at a gift shop with really overpriced, dusty products, no one to talk to. It's just like a really 
sterile environment. I'm the host of Model Rail Radio, damn it. I mean, if anyone's <laughs> going to talk trains, and, you know, the, it's just such a surreal, you know, big plexiglass stuff, distance between you and the trains, people operating, scurrying away, no one makes eye contact, no one talks with you. They're almost like some, like, hermit-like monks that, you know, just exist in this environment. I was really frustrated by this experience because I've heard a lot of really positive things associated with this particular layout, but I had no exposure to that just as a general punter coming one day. And my view is that everything that you guys are doing, you need to bottle, you need to ship internationally, you need to be like a flag. I mean, I think that YouTube video, just of Toowoomba, should be compulsory viewing for anyone. I mean, we've got Jim Gore running for national for the NMRA. People just need to get in the mindset that it's not that these things would be problems or these things don't work out, that they're actually folks such as yourselves that are doing this stuff now. And you can see immediately that it's having a really positive, not just with regards to the punters, but also with regards to the people that are building layouts, thinking about this is going to be an active participation thing. So thank you yes. very much for yeah. posting those videos and illustrating that this thing can be done and should be done. And having seen that, like I said, when you said you were going to come on tonight, I said, I've got a lot to talk to you about. And this <laughs> is the main thing because I was, I was thoroughly impressed with what I saw. And I thought this has got to be the blueprint for every train show in terms of getting the younger folk involved, accessing, putting the controllers in their hands and introducing them to the hobby in a really intimate and satisfying way which they can take away for the remainder of their life. So thank you. Thank you, Matt. Not a problem. Thank you. But uh, one of the things that we do do here at the NMRA in Australia is um, we do actually have a kids program, Mm. uh, which we run at some train shows. It's mainly been done down in New South Wales, but Mm -hmm. we're going to start doing it up here in Queensland. It's basically um, the kids can come along, sit down at a table. You've got all the materials there to scenic a little six by four Mm -hmm. um, diorama. So they put some trees on there, they lay some foliage, then they leave it there to cure, and then before <laughs> they go home, they come back and pick it up. Very important. Um, and that is a really um, a really beneficial thing to the hobby. I mean, it just introduces, shows them so how easy it is to do a piece of uh, scenery. Um, if you look on the NMRI Australia website, there's actually a link there with videos and mm-hmm. um, all the directions. So any other NMRI region or any other club, for that matter, could go in there if they decided to do something like this. Um, the little diorama that they make was actually designed by Jeff Knott, mm-hmm. um, uh, who uh, has done com- quite a few spectacular layouts over the Certainly. years. But, uh, yeah, that's always a big success at the train shows is the kids' clinics. Yes. I can't say enough for the work that you guys are doing. And I think also the affability of the people that were showing I mean, this is the other part. It's not just associated with getting the public, getting controllers in the public's hands. It's associated with a friendliness and approachability. I mean, going to this club in San Diego, standoffish isn't even the word, just completely and utterly unapproachable. No one making eye contact, no one doing anything like this. And to see your video, and I mean, obviously you're a known personality in the hobby in your area. So, I mean, some of that comes through in the video as well. But just to get a sense that the folks are understanding, and we talk to folks in the UK as well. I mean, obviously, we talked to Martin Coombs and his crew about the importance of being approachable 
in a show context to introduce people to the hobby. I mean, could you talk yes, a little bit about that? Exactly. Well, a lot of the shows that we do here, like in Australia, well, a lot of the NMRA guys and the guys I'm involved with, we don't use fencing or anything in front mm. of layouts. So first of all, the people can come right up to the layout and mm-hmm. have a look. In fact, um, the, the layout that I have sits on those plastic blow mold tables. Mm-hmm. So it's only a, a three foot off the floor. And we get comments all the time from parents that, oh, isn't it great that there's a layout at the kid's height? Mm. Uh, now, it's it's detailed just as finely as some of the other, other layouts. It's just that it's down low so the kids mm. can see it. Certainly. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then, of course, when we uh, go to shows, um, we uh, have a roster where we've got at least two members out the front who can chat to the public and hand out flyers and uh, on the club and on the NMRA. And um, it's been quite successful. Um, the NMRA in Queensland, the division I look after, um, we've got 223 members, and that's mm-hmm. the largest division in Australia. So <laughs> we're even beating New South Wales at the moment. So Very good. State of, state of origin lives on. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, but people move to Queensland at a particular point as well. So, I mean, that makes some sense. And folks in New South Wales are obviously trying desperately to earn a crust and survive. So clearly, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from with that particular perspective. One of the things that I really enjoyed with our initial conversation was associated with your Melbourne layout and talking about just the ideas behind the Melbourne layout. And it's something that I've talked to a number of people about and pointed them to the podcast specifically. What is going on with that currently? Okay, well, we've just about finished laying all the track in the mm-hmm. form-up yard and the underground city loop. It's turned out a bit bigger than I expected. It's got 23 mm-hmm. tortoise point motors in there mm-hmm. and there's 20 different isolation blocks. Gosh. Uh, so, it's uh, yeah, I'm just doing the middle of the wiring for it at the moment, but we <laughs> hope to have that. we hope to have that all completed by the end of next month. Uh, and, if, and then we're going we're gonna to have a probably about two months worth of running on it before we put the next deck on and start on the um, the scenic side of it. But uh, I've been collecting kits and uh, buildings and some ideas about um, making some iconic buildings out of Melbourne, oh, yeah. like Transport House and oh, yeah. a few others. So um, yeah, there's going to be quite a bit of kit bashing and uh, scratch building to do those. And yeah, I'm just collecting photos basically. As I said to the uh, other two guys that are helping me build it, I said I don't want to see a park, I don't want to see a tree, I don't want to see any bush. This is all dirty 1980s inner city oh, yeah. Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's that's the idea behind it. Um, I said there's plenty of layouts out there. We've got a lovely country scenes and country yeah. stations and, and the likes. I said, I want to do something completely different. There are so many. I mean, when I had you on, I was thinking of Malcolm. There are a bunch of films. There's one called um, Death in something that has... Uh, oh, I'm, I'm useless on film names and stuff at the top of my head, but so many... Of that period of time, quite famous films that are known outside of Australia are filmed in Melbourne at that period of time. So, Malcolm's yeah, brilliant. Malcolm is the, I would start yeah. with that, particularly as, in terms of the industrial dankness, for want of a better term. <laughs> Malcolm yes. characterizes that perfectly. Um, but yeah, there are a bunch of, Death in Brunswick, I think, is the one I was thinking of. I'm trying to think of other yes. films in that period that show Oh, it's such a beautiful, the use of corrugated iron in semi-residential, semi-industrial areas. I mean, it's just a beautiful kind of grit, which I understand you're looking to capture here. 
And yeah, like I say, I, I thought of two. There were a bunch of other films that came to me um, through this period of time because I think the Melbourne film industry really understood it at that period of time. There were... Um, Oh, I'm trying to think of some of the other films. But, yeah, just a yeah. number of that thing. Very similar, actually. I mean, not the same, but very similar to Industrial London in terms of, like, so many film location kind of iconic bits and pieces that can be put together. Um, exactly. Wonderful. Exactly. Wonderful like, I'm trying stuff, to capture man. the industrial area of South Melbourne. I'm going to do mm-hmm. a few. I've got some photos there of old factories that used to be there, which is now, of course, where the casino and uh, <laughs> convention centre is built yes. and, and the like. So, yeah. But it's a work in progress. Very good. Very good. Well, please keep me updated. I'm always interested in corrugated iron techniques, in particular weathering, weathering corrugated iron effectively. And I think the Australian weathering techniques particularly associated with kind of matted rust effects and these kind of things. Yes. I can, I can see a lot of those being utilised heavily here. And as you say, the dirty dustiness of Melbourne in that period of time um, really, there was a, yeah, I'm just thinking of films here because there were just so many iconic films through that period that captured so many of those elements. Yeah. Yeah, we actually got, um, uh, we were at, uh, when we were at Toowoomba, I picked up some of those Ossetian um uh, hold um, Falcons, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and they were um, what X XDs. So the mm-hmm. for the right era. So the next thing is now we've uh, we're going to make a mold and we're going to cast about five hundred of them for the Ford factory. Oh yeah. So uh, yes, that's that's one of the projects that one of the guys are working on. So. And in terms of rail link, I mean the Ford factory had some some rail operations associated with it. I'm assuming. Yes, yeah, yeah. They, they they used to ship out, and I, I actually did my apprenticeship at the uh, Nissan factory, Ooh. or as the or as the Americans would say, Nissan. Yes, um, but back <laughs> then it back then it was called Datsun. Of course. Uh, and in those days, we used to actually make all the Volvos there, uh, all the yeah. um, two four four series Volvos. So I've got mm-hmm. a whole bunch of those because they used to get shipped out on uh, on rail as well. So we've got a whole bunch of those that we've been casting. Uh, from uh, weaking models mm-hmm. and uh, machining out and then painting and uh, we should have a whole uh, about six cars uh, six rail uh, stacks full of those who makes a datsun in- um, there's some, there's some weaking models that make a datsun okay, cool. 280z and uh, a few others <laughs> but nice. i've been getting um, the opal um, weaking also made an opal uh, I think it was called a cadet, and it looks mm-hmm. just like a Gemini of that ah, era. Okay, interesting. So we've got a heap of those that we've done, and um, the other one they make um, looks very much like a VL Commodore. Oh. So I've got those done up as taxis, police cars. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to keep all the vehicles to that era as well. There's no, you won't find any uh, any modern era cars in there at no all. No way, no way. So no, that would stick out. Uh, that would stick out immediately. So yes, yes, yeah, wonderful, wonderful stuff. But I'm looking forward to seeing when you get to the stage. Obviously, I mean you, you're in the the track laying stage currently. But I think the visuals and the emotive effects are certainly what I'm looking for with this particular hat. And I've recommended it to a number of people that are actually non-model railroaders as well, who all <laughs> have fond memories of Melbourne at that particular time. So it's um. It's an amazing time and era to pick, and I think it's an interesting apex because, as as noted, 
captured in a few films as well. So, yeah, yes. very good. Yes. No, I've actually got to get uh, the old video camera out and do a mm-hmm. video on the shed because I haven't done anything on the actual shed itself and the layout. And mm. Before we get much further, I should just do a, a quick uh, video of what it is now. Mm. Otherwise, before I know it, we'll be doing scenery stuff and someone will say, oh, you should video this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're remarkably cheap now, actually. Like video cameras that used to be... Yeah, six hundred dollars are now one hundred and fifty dollars. I bought one recently, which I proceeded to lose and then refined again. And it's amazing, actually, the quality of video cameras that you can get for next to nothing. I guess the cell phone market and what have you, the all the component costs came down dramatically. And now, I mean, the one I bought is really just a hollow shell, a kind of hand yes. camera. So, yeah, the availability of this kind of stuff has increased dramatically recently for a reasonable price. So, I'm really looking forward to. Uh, Actually, seeing this stuff come together, Martin. We'll get a few uh, few together. We'll get the GoPro out. That's what I've been using Very most good. of the time. And and uh, yep, we'll uh, we'll get something done. Always a pleasure catching up, Martin. I've only spoken to you once before, but I'm really enjoying the stuff that you're producing. And like I say, if you can get the stuff on the NMRA in your local area back to the national here, and uh, I just I'd love to see train shows like the one that you showed in Toowoomba. Beautiful well, Thank it's you. it's a, it's actually funny because I've been um, uh, the, the Pacific District Director's position uh, is coming up, and mm. I thought the uh, I thought the date for the applications was September, but then I got told it was May, so I've missed mm. out and put an application in. But next I was time. Uh, next time. Next time we'll give it a go. Definitely, definitely. Well, folks are posting YouTube clips and stuff up of your layout, so. Uh, Always a pleasure chatting, Martin. Please keep doing what you're doing. Please keep posting videos on the Facebook group as well. I really enjoy them. Always a pleasure chatting. Not a problem. You take care. Bye-bye. I'd like to welcome back on John Garrity. I was hoping to get the professor on this show, but you're nearly just as good. John Garrity, what's Uh... been going on with your model railroading on? Not much apart from recovery from Geelong. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, in terms of Coromel, looked splendid. How did it operate? Uh, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some trouble on the Sunday. I jammed up a, a skip in the, the tipple cage, which kind of has moved something. Mm. Uh, um, yes, it would work occasionally, but we couldn't guarantee that we were going to get a skip in and out of the cage. Mm. Um, so all Saturday, yes, we were running cold, tipping it, getting skips away, and about second skip Sunday morning, down the hill crunch. Mm. Um, what I think we've done, we tightened up an adjustment too much, mm-hmm. um, which previously something would slip and you could get yourself out of trouble. We tightened it up a bit too much and something else has moved, which is... I think knock the track alignment out by probably under half a millimetre, mm. and that's enough to cause trouble when you're pulling skips with magnetics. Of course, yes. Um, apart from that, yeah, it worked. It, it, given that it got bounced around for a thousand k's each way, um, yes. we did very well. Very impressive. We lost, we lost one tree in transit on the way down Gosh. that fell off. Uh, everything else remained attached. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything started up first go when we fired it up on the Friday evening or afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Gifford had his video camera out and caught us in action 
during that period. So uh, when that video was shot, uh, we didn't have the ropes run out on the incline uh, and the tipple house Mm -hmm. wasn't covering up where the tipper outer was on the tipple deck. Uh, But apart from that, yes, it was the incline itself was running and running well. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone who has a look at the video might notice that there's a lady counting down the, the number of skips uh, yes. at the bottom at the bottom of a hill. Uh, the deal is there: you need the fourth skip arriving to nudge a skip forward to trigger the bottom end tip out cycle. Mm. So unless you've got three waiting. Um, Nothing's going to happen at the bottom of the hill. When the fourth one arrives, that's when stuff starts to happen at the bottom of the hill. So Jim actually caught us with, I think, two skips at the bottom of the hill. Mm. So we'd only just started test running at the time. Mm. Apart from that, yes, it was a good weekend. Very good. I thoroughly in- enjoyed it. Our crew thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Dan Pickard and his crew did a magnificent job. Amazing job, yes. Did you see the model he submitted of the guy... In the there's this little disc model of the guy building a layout. <laughs> yes. Now that is amazing to to do the, what he did for the Arrogate Convention and submit that model. Mm. Hats off to Dan Picker. Yes, uh, he he was under a fair bit of time pressure. Oh yeah. They also had organised a very very good day on Easter Monday out on the Bellarine Peninsula Railway. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was an ec- excellent day out. It starts at Queenscliff and and runs back at a, to a a town called Drysdale, which originally broad gauge Victorian five foot three, mm. uh, but they've narrowed it to three foot six for their industrial rolling stock. Originally, they were in central Geelong and got moved out to Queenscliff, mm. so they didn't have much option but to narrow the the gauge of the tracks. They've done a terrific job on upgrading probably the first half of the run. Mm-hmm. It's been upgraded with. I think concrete sleepers in some places and heavier rail. The rest of the run to Drysdale is still on basically the old track on timber sleepers and all they've done is move the rail across. And it's short rail, lighter rail, so it's a bit bumpier and a bit more atmospheric for a ride. Mm, certainly, uh, certainly. So, yes, it was uh, an excellent weekend. Myself and my wife stayed down and did a few other things later in the week. Martin... Well, you mentioned earlier about the Melbourne area. If you can find the Miss Fisher murder series, a lot of that was shot around industrial Melbourne. Mm. It should be around. It was up on Netflix recently. Okay. Not sure whether it's still there. Uh, the ABC put it together. So it's a 1920s flapper detective. Mm-hmm. He's got an interesting take on being a detective. Mm. Uh, if I say much more than that, I'll give the game or give the stories away. So. Okay. Don't do that, John Gary. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, a, a lot of that was shot uh, around in the old industrial areas of Melbourne. Mm. Those that survive. So y- yes. You wind up, you wind up with the, the narrow alleys, mm-hmm. um, the area around the wharfs mm-hmm. um, in the days of, of manual wharf labour. Certainly. Um, as opposed to container cranes. Yes. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting period piece set in the, the mid-1920s. Very good. Very good. John, it is incredibly hot here. I've got a couple more people to get to. Always okay. pleasure chatting. Please pass on my regards to the professor when you see him. 
And uh, uh, the yep. professor will probably be out of action for a, another couple of weeks at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, he sends his apologies today. Not at all. Not at all. He's tied up with Major House Renault's. So starting, I anticipated. Yeah, starting next week. Very good. Well, so, when he's done with um, that, it's going to be an interesting time to chat with him, I'm sure, because yes, certainly he, he's never really, yeah, he's never really had a, I mean, he's had enough space for micro louds, but uh, he might have a little bit more space now. Uh, I've got some bad news. Oh, no. Yeah, Brooklyn 3AM is no longer. What happened? It was in storage and something big and heavy moved on top of it. Oh, no. Well, so that's, that's very sad. Yes, so given it was an all-foam core construction. But it was part of a um, flight case, right? The actual external thing of it was, or appeared at least, to be relatively tough. It appeared to be pretty tough, yes. Okay, I'll say no more. When it's hit by something weighing tens of kilograms from a great height, all bets are off. Alas. Uh, That is very strange. So, yeah, I rang up last weekend, very disheartened. Um, Yeah. So it was in storage. It was in what was thought was a reasonably safe place, but something behind it moved and came down on top of it. Uh, a, lot, news. A, a lot of the cameos are being salvaged. Good, good. It's mainly the higher-level bridge and what was under it is, is broken. Mm-hmm. It was just too difficult to fix. Certainly. So, unfortunately, Brooklyn 3AM is no more. Alas. Well, it will live on in the memories of those of us that saw it operating, and clearly I think it's inspired a number of folks that listen to this podcast, and certainly when I hear, I mean, we've had callers recently that are building Brooklyn layouts of a similar area, obviously slightly larger, but still it inspired a lot of people, and uh, I'm sure whatever comes after it will be a good homage. So, yeah, I'm sh- sure that there is some stuff happening, did I mention that the convention that he was running a radio control tractor on timber rails? Yes, that was uh, associated with what he was designing for the Narragans, right? So yes, yeah, it it ran quite successfully. Wonderful. Um, it's now gone to another home. The only drawback is with it because of the small size of the tractor. It limited the amount of battery that could be shoved in certainly. there, certainly, which limited to it limited its duration so Mm -hmm. yes you'd get about an hour's worth of play out of it then it had to go kind of recharge for a while Mm. but if you had more than one tractor very interesting yes um, if anyone can do it the professor can so okay i'll leave you in peace thanks very much for the the catch up always a pleasure always a pleasure chatting john pass my regards the professor condolences associated with brooklyn okay we'll do it I'd like to welcome back on Dana Driscoll. Dana, when we first spoke, I was under some severe allergies. I have edited the audio associated with that period. I think I come through a little bit coherently. You come through perfectly. Let me first apologise for my condition when we last spoke. But you said you had some updates. You said your club has done uh, some stuff and you wanted to provide a personal update as well. So please fill yeah. people in. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, the Miss Fishers, by the way, down here in Santa Barbara, which is down the coast from you, Tom, mm-hmm. um, we get the Miss Fishers here, too, and I think they're great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so enough on, on that. But today, yeah, our uh, we're a loose affiliation. We have mm-hmm. 
somewhat of a club layout by where um, by way of Gary Siegel, who has a Louisville and Nashville line model for 1971. And today we managed to uh, host a club from about 100 miles up the coast in San Luis Obispo. They came down and we had just about as many pilots as we had guests. So it was wonderful. Everybody got to, uh, you know, got some hand holding when they needed it and mm-hmm. we'd step away when they didn't need it. So that was that was really great. Nice operations and everything went well. So that was that was a good thing today. It's it's a nice indoor layout. Um Certainly hundreds of feet of HO uh, railroad, and uh, it runs very well. Um, so we had a good time. I had to pull out the soldering, soldering iron once. Mm. I count that as victorious. So we had, had a good time. And if you know people are ever on the West Coast and they get down somewhere between Los Angeles and uh, the Bay Area, you know, Santa Barbara's not such a bad place to hang out for a little Absolutely. while. And Gary's very, very kind and open and giving, and so, you know, I and a couple of the other fellows that live here in town, we just go over and support as best we can, but, mm. you know, there's there's folks who come from, oh, as far away as Orange County on a regular basis, mm-hmm. we operate uh, at least once a month, and uh, it's, a good, it's a good place to go if you like operations. Wonderful. We kind of shift, we shift gears, uh, we do... Um, a CTC about half the time and a train order the other half the time. Mm. And once people get comfortable with train order, they usually really gravitate towards it and like it. So if anybody's sort of uh, anxious about that and they wanted to try it out in a sort of a friendly manner, another reason to come to Santa Barbara. Wonderful. Wonderful. You said you had a personal layout update as well. Well, I have I have a little uh, N-scale layout, and it's modeled on um, something else that starts with an L, uh, L-A and S-L, um, and I model 1920. Mm-hmm. Um, if you get up, the L-A and S-L, for those who don't know, is how the Union Pacific found its way into Los Angeles by way of a little town called, that they all, virtually created, called Las Vegas. And about 70 miles up from Las Vegas is a... Uh, junction, if you will, uh, at Moapa, Nevada. And I've always been fascinated with it. I've been there a number of times and there's not a whole hell of a lot, but there it is. And it's a, it's got a Y and it's got a nice branch that runs down, uh, to what was once the town of St. Thomas, Nevada. And mm. it's no longer there because it was, uh, sacrificed to make Lake Mead, uh, and the Boulder Dam and such. Certainly. But in 1920, it was still there, so it gives me a nice little 21-mile run with a couple of towns. And, um, and in 1920, you get all sorts of fun things to do. You've got livestock, and mm-hmm. there's, I've got a gypsum uh, mine on the, on the run. All of this is prototypical, or at least as good as I'm capable of making it. But mm-hmm. it's, it's small enough that uh, I'm able to model, for instance, Moapa's only got a two to one compression. So mm. it's it's fairly workable for a you know somebody wanting to actually think like what it would have been to to be in charge of a yard. And um it's mostly passenger traffic that flows by and gets in the way. And that's just exactly the way I like it. So it's fun. Tonight I while I was uh listening in, um I was working on a little McKean car that I do uh and I managed to get a uh 
a headlight into it. And an end scale sticking operating headlights into things is, well, it's a challenge for me. It probably isn't for half the guys that, that are on this call. But uh, for me, I found it victorious. So I, I counted the day as a very good day. Very good. Very good. Thanks for the update, Dana. Please right. sound the call. I always like it when people call into Model Rail Radio and then call back in the next show with new updates. So I think that's really a wonderful thing. So thank you very much for calling in. All right. Cheers. Welcome back on Simon Hill. Simon, it's an absolutely excruciatingly sweltering day here in San Jose. An evening, might I say. But I have to get an update from you because the amount of work that is going on in do you call it a shed? What do you call the what do you call the space at the back of back of your garden? What's the term that you use? Well, it was my workshop, but now it's my train shed, so train yeah. shed. Okay, very good. The amount of stuff that is going on in your train shed currently is pretty phenomenal. For folks listening in, can you introduce what's going on? I decided I wanted a, a train set. I've never had a train set probably 30 years because I got involved with uh, lots of club layouts and then the business come along and commission modelling. And I'd lost the, the sort of basic reason why I was into model railways. And that was I wanted a train set. So with the business closing down, I decided a bit of reorganisation in a shed. Um, in fact, it took more time to reorganise all the benches, get things out of the way, and then start the bench work. And the plan is it's basically a high-level shelf layer that goes right around the shed. Um, it's got a little bit complicated because, like a lot mm. of things, you try and want to build as much into it as you can. But having drawn the layer out full size, um, it, it does fit. But one of the things I did find, although I built the shed myself, was... It's slightly un, not square, and of course, mm. when I drew the layer, I built it square, so I've had mm. to adapt a few bits. And one exactly. of the photos shows uh, a board with a little bit of a joggle in it, but so, yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it, and um, it's getting back to the hobby. It's grassroots, which is probably the, the key to this. So, and it's inspired me again after certainly. quite a few years. And I mean, Martin intimated that you know something had changed, and obviously, you've noted that your business has closed. Your your business part of your train shed was substantial. I mean, in terms of all the equipment and all these bits and pieces, were you able to sell it on? Were you able to sell parts of it? I mean, has, has some of that equipment left the area? What's what's going on associated with those components of the train shed? It looked big, but the trouble was there's lots of cabinets with lots of small oh, components in. And, yeah, definitely. and those have been bagged up. They've been put in a loft. And yes, the business is still for sale. Um, and the machinery, what I had to do was lower the benches so it gave me a working height oh, anyway. Okay. And most of the machinery has been moved around either under the benches or hidden away. So okay. it's given me a lot of space. Although at the moment it, it looks like a bomb's hitting there because there's wood everywhere. <laughs> and I have to admit I'm not the best lover of working in wood. Um, mm. I, I, as you know, I much prefer working in metal. But, Certainly. Uh, I think today uh, should see another board built, and it only leaves me two to make. So mm. it, it gets me to the stage where I can start the interesting bits, like uh, the track work and the electrics. And uh, actually, talking about the electrics, one of the, the things I was talking to Neil about was mm -hmm. I wanted to minimise the wiring, and Neil came up with an idea. And instead of using um, micro switches to show an indication of which way the turnouts are set, he said, "Why don't you use the the V, the power to going into the mm -hmm. V and power it from the positive and negative rails, which mm. works brilliantly. The only trouble was, because I've got 
want to have detection. And I rigged yeah. up my little test board. I found that every time I switched a point, it showed a detection in that area. So yes. it, it, you go one step forward, one step back. But Alas, what I've got, that's the nature of the hobby, though, right? Um, yes. I mean, it's good to have someone like Neil around. He's got mm. a, a very clever way of thinking in electronics. But what I've got to do now is just drop off the detection in the V area, and that will give me... Um, less wiring and a positive indication of root set because it actually shows from the change of polarity instead of a micro switch which mm-hmm. probably is more reliable i think but uh, mm. I've, I've seen a couple of people say it's not the best way of going but i find dcc wiring can get overwhelming if you're not careful and i think mm. probably a lot of listeners will probably uh, agree to that certainly certainly so in terms of your crew recently what three weeks ago now ken had his open house again Yes, yes, it was very good actually. Um, we had the uh, Narragate Society on the Saturday. Mm-hmm. I think that was the day you came last year. Mm-hmm, and definitely. They, they come from all over the country this year. Uh, one chap come from Glasgow, one chap mm. come from the Midlands, and they stayed all day and we, we entertained them. Another, a very nice day again. And then on the, the Sunday, we had our barbecue and um, the bread guard group came and we ran the 16 mil garden railway as well which was mm. uh, yeah very good and it's nice and warm the weather was kind to us which uh, makes a, a great difference uh, yes it's uh, it's coming on well um we're getting on well with the first sunday in june layout i don't know if you've seen Certainly. some of martin's updates oh yeah uh, oh yeah i seem to have been delegated the the carver of the foam because it's such a messy job <laughs> uh, so I, yes. I arrived in my, my my overalls the other night and uh Yes, that that's coming along well. Um, we're starting on the the rotor yard now. Um, we've done the basic framework. Um, mm. Neil's collecting uh, components for it, and he's worked Sound out it. the best way of going ahead with this now because it's it's going to be quite a beast. Um, and Good we want to keep it a feature and layout as well. And we're sort of contemplating ways of actually displaying it now to the public. Um, one school of thought is to actually keep it in the the, the basic colour of the layout, which is white. Because the key to the whole project is the stock on the layer, and that will show up. Um, but Neil, on his CAD drawing, had shown quite a lot of different colours on the on the roti yard. And there's one school of thought that actually perhaps it might be too overwhelming if it's white, but to keep some colour on it. So yeah. that's quite interesting. Um, it's it's one of those projects that has taken a long time in the discussion stage. Yeah. Um, but now it's bearing fruits, and uh, yeah, it's it's one of those projects that make you think. A lot of model railways, it, it tends to be very conventional, and this is very much outside clearly not the, the same one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, it's it's nice to have someone like Neil who has just the visual aspect, because as you say, you know, initial decision once you actually see it in three D and see what the effect color will make to it, you don't want to be too brutalist. At the same point, just by its sheer size people are going to be drawn to this layout because it's got the carousel. So, yeah, interesting. Yes, and I think the whole the whole presentation is, is good. Um, as we've said before, getting away from the um, black or brown uh, mm-hmm. boards with a, a curtain just hung on the front as a, an, an afterthought to show the whole layout has been conceived with an idea of presentation. I think that's where Martin has got that idea. I, I'm... I can't think too much in the sort of three-dimensional, whereas Martin does. <laughs> yes, certainly. certainly. <laughs> I'm definitely a two-dimensional man. Yes. And the layout's named after something, right? The first Sunday in June is, is a show day for the, for the prototype, right? Yes. It's, it's probably the day when the railway is at its best um, mm. because we've got the group very um, 
bright greens of the trees. We've got the ends of the uh, spring flowers. And it's one of the weekends where we host the um, 1940s day. So it gives you a lot of options for sort of interesting people and interesting vehicles that be dotted around the layout. And it's it's a good advertising tool for the railway, which is one of the reasons why we're building it, but also because of the challenge. And, uh, yeah, it's – in fact, Bredgar, we're getting on very well. You're all very familiar with it as well. I mean, I've just added to the audio, so you haven't had a chance to hear – my chat with Martin, but that was one of the things that I pointed out to him was that, you know, you're talking about sleepers and these kind of things. You've actually laid some of the sleepers that you're modeling. So the intimacy yes. that you all have is uh, wonderful. Yeah, it, it is. The only trouble we find is because we're there all the operating days and probably one day a week, mm. when it comes to visualizing things, do you know, at times we can't visualize it. We know it intimately. We know, yeah. you know, every sleeper, every signal, every tree. But when someone says, What's the width for that sleeper? We go, uh, I don't know. We'll have to have a look. And that goes for a lot of the things. It's, I know yes. getting the location of the buildings correct is a key issue. And small changes make a whole difference to the visualization of the whole layer. Certainly. And yeah. that's the start now. We're starting to work on a few buildings. Um, and one of the problems we had was um, Martin's been looking at m- most of the stuff to be built in timber. Um, mm. And obtaining the correct size timber is very difficult. Yes, I know um, you got Mount, was it Mount Albert, um, Albert Lumber? Lumber. Is, yes, certainly. The problem is it's the the delivery of it, and it, it's the cost. So Martin's treated himself to a planar finisher, so we can mm. take material down to the correct size. Yes, and also that gives us the the easy way of producing all the sleepers because um, they're quite substantial. Certainly. And now, a we lot discussed of last sleep- recording exactly that because, yes, it does sound like, I mean, every aspect of this layout sounds, you know, mathematically precise, but at the same point, just in terms of the sleepers alone, what kind of error calculation do you need associated with needing maybe an additional 20 just in case or maybe an additional 40 just in yeah. case? I mean, all these kind of things. So. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I always tend to overstock when you do things like that. Um, mm. But I think one of the things we're going to be doing very shortly is we need to get to grips with the the detail of the, the track work so we've done Certainly. a test board where we've built the rail but we want to now do some sleepers and get the weathering techniques correct on them because oh, yes. it's very subtle there although people you, you talk sort of think of a, a brown black rusty finish of the sleepers these these definitely aren't they're a, a silvery finish with occasional green mold because mm. most of the, the area where we're modeling it's under tree cover Certainly. so you tend to get a lot of uh, growth on the sleepers as well as the fencing we, a few years ago we painted all the fencing in the station area black and within a couple of months it had gone green but it's a very subtle yes. green you know it's an algae growth yes certainly <laughs> certainly same as same as the signals you know they, they start out white but over the season they tend to mm. the green creeps up from the ground mm. um, and that's that's little things that will will show the layout in, in a, a different light i mean weathering is the key i think um yes the rolling stock will be very clean and that's the nature of it and people say well railway said not to be clean well we polish the engines every time we're down there to make sure Certainly. that they're pre- presented very well but the track work the scenery you know the, the ground cover that that's the key that's going to bring the layout alive mm. simon it's a pleasure catching up with you unfortunately the elements are attacking me at alarming rate here so i'm feeling the need to sign off uh, before I pass out, but it's a pleasure catching up with you. Please pass on my regards to your crew. It's wonderful, actually, to have the opportunity to chat with you 
in a time frame where we normally don't have a chance to chat. So no, it's wonderful catching up and pass my regards to everyone in your part of the world. I will, Tom, and it's very hot here. That's why I'm up so early, but uh, I'm going to be down the shed shortly, getting on with some work. <laughs> Thanks very for that. Very good. I'll talk to you Thanks, soon. Tom. Take care. Cheers, Tom. Another amazing model rail radio. It's always a pleasure catching up with people, old friends and new friends. That's what model rail radio is all about, folks. And it's been an interesting few weeks, interesting few months. My boss has been off on paternity leave, so work has been filling in for him and doing various other bits and pieces. And, yeah, lots of stuff going on, but Model Rail Radio is a, a cornerstone in my life. The recording, the production, the putting out, and obviously the Facebook group and every aspect of this thing. The social aspect of Model Rail Radio is far greater than any sum of the podcast, etc., so pleasure catching up with folks. Pleasure to chat with the people who called in this evening. And thanks very much to the folks for listening in. Good night. Night, Tom. Good night. Night, Tom. Night, Tom. Night, Tom.